think there's some uh, Larry Lambert's passing out. So feel free to take take advantage of that. We come to the second to last paragraph. These last two paragraphs, in fact, in our chapter, chapter 29 on the Lord's Supper, the teaching of Scripture regarding the Lord's Supper. We've looked at the nature of it, uh, at certain misunderstandings regarding it and how uh, Christ himself is the center and the focus. And so now in the seventh and eighth paragraphs, we're going to turn and, and consider then, in light of all of that, what it is that actually happens when those come and partake of the Lord's Supper. And the first paragraph, paragraph 7, um, deals with those who are described here as worthy receivers, those who are coming and partaking of this meal as it's intended, uh, those who are rightfully invited and, and welcomed to share in this meal, and what benefits uh, attend to them from coming. And then the eighth paragraph also deals with those coming, but this would be those who are not rightly entitled to uh, come and share in this meal and uh, what, what happens in their case as a result of coming. And so let's begin with reading the seventh paragraph here in chapter 29. Worthy receivers, outwardly partaking of the visible elements in this sacrament, do then also inwardly by faith, really and indeed, yet not carnally and corporally, but spiritually, receive and feed upon Christ crucified, and all benefits of his death, the body and blood of Christ, being then not corporally or carnally, in, with, or under the bread and wine, yet as really but spiritually present to the faith of believers in that ordinance, as the elements themselves are to their outward senses. Now, that's a long sentence, just have to say. But the main point here is that there is a real presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in the administration of the supper that he has instituted. Uh, as we've seen, these elements picture him. They focus upon him and his death. They turn our eyes, pointing us to him in his death and what that means to us. And it is also an invitation to each of us to come and partake, not just of those outward elements, but to partake of what they represent by faith. And so it does require faith then to achieve or to gain and, and feed upon the spiritual realities that are offered here. And we know this. There's no other way to have relationship with God, to have relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ, than by faith. It requires faith that we might believe in Him. And so if we don't have faith uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ... Uh, that is the key upon uh, which this whole situation turns as to whether, which paragraph are you in? If you're coming to the Lord's Supper, which paragraph rightly describes what happens in your case? Well, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, that is the key and central aspect of what it is that is required to partake of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Now, again, we look at these, this language, it's very specific. Worthy receivers outwardly partaking of the visible elements in this sacrament. 
Let's pause there and turn to 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 28. And we've been through and through these verses, so we won't expand the text to the context uh, again this morning. But in verse 27, I want you to notice the language that is used uh, in our confession. It's taken from this passage. Verse 27, Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So this is where this this uh, descriptor comes from. What is a worthy receiver? Well, what is it to come in an unworthy manner? Now, we have to be careful, of course, not to misunderstand what the scriptures or our confession mean by that term. It's certainly not to say that some people can be good enough to be worthy of such a meal. That's not what this term worthy is referring to, or this matter of coming in an unworthy manner. It's not to say that there are those who have worth and there are those who don't have worth, and and that's how we understand the term. No, as we said, the benefit of of the Lord's Supper is offered and, and taken only by faith. We feed by faith upon the Lord Jesus. Well, what is faith in the Lord Jesus? It's, it's more than just the conviction of the reality of his existence. You remember that James, in, in his epistle, even uh, corrects that idea of faith. He says that even, even the demons believe that God is real. They believe and tremble. That's not what... Uh, completely describes Christian faith. It's not simply a conviction of his being, but it is that trust. It is receiving and resting upon him alone. It's looking away from self to him. Uh, This acknowledgement, God, we are not worthy. We do not have within ourselves what would satisfy your holiness and would gain for us this relationship with you that we desire. We're looking away from ourselves in terms of what we can offer and acknowledging our sinfulness. We're looking to the offered Savior. Lord, we look to you to pay for our sins, to, to apply the, the merits and the benefits of your sacrifice, to cover our sins, to give us the blessing of being joined to you and sharing in your blessedness, your righteousness, so that as we stand in before the Father, we're received and welcomed, we're justified, even though in ourselves we all will confess we are sinful. And so this matter of coming by faith uh, helps us understand what it is to be a worthy receiver. It's, It's the very opposite of looking upon yourself and determining, well, I'm worthy, so I'll come and I'll be a worthy receiver of this. No, it is to acknowledge your own unworthiness, to look to Christ by faith, and in that to be welcomed as as those that God delights to bless and extend his covenant to. And so worthy receivers outwardly partaking of the visible elements in this sacrament Again, back to 1 Corinthians 11, now verse 28. So it it requires a a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, a looking away from self, uh, an an assessment of self that acknowledges 
in confession, our sinfulness. And that's really what this verse 28 has to do with in 1 Corinthians 11. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. It, it, it is not the only thing that we're to do. Uh, we don't terminate upon just considering ourselves the whole time. But it must involve examining ourselves. And what should we find if we examine ourselves in the light of God's word? Well, we would have to confess the truth of God's assessment that no one is righteous, no, not one. And so it is with ourselves. We examine ourselves to find our need of salvation, our own unworthiness, our own sinfulness. And then, as I said, it's not sufficient just to acknowledge sin. You know, Judas, in a very real sense, got that far uh, in the misery of just being unable to escape the guilt of his sin. He's, he is eaten up with regret even. He comes back to these that he had bartered with in betraying the Lord Jesus and seeks to return the money. I cannot, I, I cannot take this. I am, I am guilty. But what he did not do is see in the Lord Jesus Christ the path of forgiveness. He, he found no forgiveness. He sought no forgiveness, but rather ended his own life in despair. And so this, this self-examination, as, as I said, it's not the, the end or the goal or the terminating point of this whole supper. It's not just to have an opportunity to reflect upon ourselves and come away feeling bad that, yes, we are sinners. But it is, as the verse here in verse 28 says, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. It is looking then from ourselves to the Lord Jesus and seeing in that supper, I am a sinner, but Lord Jesus, you gave your life to pay for my sins. Your body was broken and your blood was shed to pay the debt of sin that I owed. And so it does not end in despair, uh, but it does end in rejoicing and in coming to the Lord Jesus. And that's all built into this term, worthy receivers. Worthy receivers outwardly partaking of the visible elements in the sacrament. Now, the, the confession here begins to make some distinction between partaking of this meal in terms of its visible elements and in terms of what's pictured by those visible elements. Again, we're going to see in the next paragraph that even an unworthy receiver can come and partake of the visible elements, but they will not thereby be partaking of Jesus Christ because they lack faith. They are not looking to him as the Savior and the sacrifice and the, and the great priest who reconciles them to their God. And so worthy receivers outwardly partaking of the visible elements in this sacrament do then also inwardly, by faith, really and indeed, yet not carnally and corporally, that is, not in terms of flesh or body, but spiritually, inwardly, by faith, spiritually receive and feed upon Christ crucified and all benefits of his death, the body 
and blood of Christ being then not corporally or carnally in, with, or under the bread and wine, yet as really but spiritually present to the faith of believers in that ordinance as the elements themselves are to their outward senses. And so we, we understand then, but with a spiritual discernment, it, it's not a physical act. If the Lord Jesus were present here physically, we could not gain the benefits that we're seeking uh, by trying to physically eat of his body. But it is a spiritual nourishment. It is looking to him and feeding upon him by faith, not physically, not in terms of flesh and blood, but in terms of the benefits, the benefits of his death. And the Lord Jesus Christ himself saying, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. Whoever takes and eats of me will live. He compares himself to that picture of uh, God's provision in the Old Testament. And this is found in John. I'd encourage you to read chapters 6, 7, and 8. But the manna that fell from heaven in the Old Testament when Moses was leading God's people... Well, Jesus compares himself to that as to say that I, I am the bread from heaven. I'm that which gives life to the world, that which you must have to have life. And you must take and take into yourself and unto yourself. You can't just look upon it and be nourished by it. You can't just acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God and he came to this world. But you must take that unto yourself. You must take Christ to yourself as your Savior to receive the blessing of his nourishment, his life-giving nourishment. And so it is with the Lord's Supper. Again, we're not speaking in terms of, of chewing up and swallowing flesh and blood. That's not how salvation is accomplished, and that's not the nature of our union with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a spiritual union. He is in his body, as we said last week, seated in heaven. Uh, he is, as the angel said, he is not here. He is, he is there. We take of Christ by faith. Uh, we, we look to him as that which we must have. We must have for our own nourishment and life. And taking him by faith, we are strengthened. We are nourished in the inner man. And so, as, as the confession says, yet is really but spiritually present to the faith of believers in that ordinance, as the elements themselves are to their outward senses. So, just as you can take the piece of bread in your hand and put it in your mouth and consume it, so you, with the hand of faith, take the Lord Jesus Christ and you, you uh, receive him unto yourself, you look to him as that which you must have, and he offers himself to the faith of his children uh, to be taken, and, and he gives himself to us in this. Now, we can look at 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16. So the, the point of these passages, then, is to show the truth of this, that Christ is, he's not He's not physically present. That's the, the idolatry of, of wrong views of the Lord's Supper, as we looked at the last couple weeks. 
But he is spiritually present. It does mean something to come to the Lord's Supper. It's not just an empty ceremony. It's not as though I had come up with the idea. And then if you ate a piece of bread that I gave you or didn't, it really wouldn't have any more significance than the calories you would have eaten or not. But this is the supper that Christ has instituted. And he's promised to use it and to bless it and to offer himself and give himself to the faith of his children to be received and to be enjoyed. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, in verse 14, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people, judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. We're reminded in these verses of the, of the spiritual significance of the Lord's Supper. Again, because it is of Christ's institution, he has promised to make it significant, meaningful, his very presence be with us. And as we are by faith taking those elements and eating them, he is giving himself to us spiritually in the, in the very same act. We also see in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 3 and 4, a similar connection as, as we can often see in the Scriptures. But here, with respect to this recounting of the Old Testament history of God's people, Paul writes, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. And we've looked at those succeeding verses. But what does that tell us? That even in the Old Testament days, when Moses was leading God's people, there was the opportunity for more than just satisfying a physical thirst. When God directed Moses and he struck the rock and the water came forth, or when God sent the manna down from heaven, it, it was something far more significant than just you have something to drink now and you have something to eat now. What, what the spiritual children of God recognized there and participated in was every time they would go out and take up the manna and eat it. They weren't just, again, filling a, a caloric intake need, but they were looking to the God of heaven that gave them that bread and thanking him that he was their provider. He was the one who sustained their lives. And in the same way as they drank that water, uh, many, sadly, just satisfied a physical thirst. But there were those. There were those who, in drinking that water, saw the provision of God and by faith drank of even the spiritual rock that was following them. And the rock was Christ. 
that they recognized that they had a need greater than just physical thirst being satisfied. They had a need greater than just physical hunger being satisfied. And God, who provided for those physical needs, was also the one who would provide for these spiritual needs of renewal and strength. And so it's the same, it's the same principle then when we come to the Lord's Supper. It is that just as we need bread and just as we need uh, drink, Jesus using these very common everyday occurrences that we so clearly understand as creatures of the flesh. He is giving us that encouragement that just as he is giving us that physical nourishment, he has given himself and we can take of him and be strengthened and take of him and be filled with joy uh, that he is our savior and the sacrifice for our sins. Now, it, it clearly states, again, that it is, it is not corporally or carnally, that is not in terms of body and flesh, but spiritually, and so it was in the Old Testament. Now, if we go to the eighth paragraph, it's going to speak to what unworthy receivers um, achieve by coming and taking of the Lord's Supper. And and the first, you know, again, the first thing we must, we must clarify is what does it mean to be an unworthy receiver? And in the eighth paragraph of our confession, the language has changed a little bit. Obviously, it's speaking about the converse of what we just saw, the worthy receivers. But let's read the confession, and then we'll look at these scripture references together. Although ignorant and wicked men receive the outward elements in this sacrament, yet they receive not the things signified thereby, but by their unworthy coming thereunto, are guilty of the body and blood of the Lord to their own damnation. Wherefore, all ignorant and ungodly persons, as they are unfit to enjoy communion with him, so are they unworthy of the Lord's table." and cannot, without great sin against Christ, while they remain such, partake of these holy mysteries, or be admitted thereunto. So again, when we understand the true significance of the Lord's Supper, what, what does it signify? What does it represent? Well, it is a sharing in the Lord Jesus. It is coming to Him, feeding upon Him, being blessed and strengthened and encouraged by him. And so the test of whether someone should come to the outward elements of this meal is found in whether someone can truly come to the Lord Jesus Christ and enjoy sweet communion and fellowship with him. And who cannot? Well, those who have not confessed their faith in him, those who have not join themselves to God's people, those who are, as, as Paul's use of the term in 1 Corinthians 11, that was true of these people. They were the church there at Corinth, so they had professed their faith in Christ. They had joined themselves to God's people, and yet there were still those there in the church who were coming in an unworthy manner. Look back at chapter 11 in verse 27. 
Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. If we keep reading, let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. So there are consequences that he's explaining in terms of how this church had been coming to the Lord's table. Whose body is it? He mentions this about you haven't judged or discerned the body rightly. Whose body? It is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only pictured there in the sacrament, but in terms of the people of God, we are the body of Christ. He is the head. And so any, any administration, participation in the Lord's Supper that leaves Jesus on the side is certainly a, a mis, uh, misadministration, a misparticipation for those to come and eat and drink without recognizing and acknowledging whose body uh, is in view are only eating and drinking judgment on himself. So in verse 30, that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. That is to say, who again, it's not to say, so well, some of you are sinners and you're getting into trouble as you're coming to the Lord's table. No, we know that we're all sinners. So what does Paul urge upon us? What would, what would resolve this uh, coming unto judgment? Well, he says in verse 31, if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. What does this mean? Well, again, as, as we examine ourselves in verse 28, it means that we acknowledge our sin before God, we confess our sin before Him, we condemn our sin in ourselves before Him, and we seek the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the whole purpose of the Lord's Supper, is to picture for us there is payment for sin. There is release from the power of sin. There is forgiveness for repented of and confessed sin. So you can see then how it would make such a mockery of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ for a person to come clinging on to their sin, wanting to keep that, protect it in their heart, and still go through the acts of of coming to Christ where the whole purpose of this is to show the awful consequences of sin, the awful gravity of sin, the payment that was required for the forgiveness of sin. And then someone's going to come and say, well, I still want to keep my sin, but I like some things that I'm hearing, or I want to be comforted in my sin, perhaps even to say, I I want to somehow twist the message of the gospel so that I can continue on in sin but still keep coming back for the forgiveness of that same sin. That is making a mockery of the Lord's Supper. And that's what Paul is speaking about when he says, let a person examine himself then. Or in verse 31, but if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. We have to condemn sin. We have to confess it and repent of it. 
to do otherwise is a terrible sin. It's always sinful, but then it, it is even multiplied, magnified when we come to the very place where we're reminded of the terrible nature of sin, the terrible cost of sin, and the, the gift of the Son of God that we might be delivered from sin. If we, if we come to that very place and say, well, we, we, uh, we don't want to condemn this sin. We don't want to judge this sin in our own lives. Uh, we want to protect it and still come and somehow think that we can take the benefits of the death of Christ for ourselves while also hanging on to the very sin that cost him his life. Paul says, if we uh, judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. Well, what is the, what is the implication there? If we won't judge the sin in our lives as sin in God's sight and hate it and forsake it and come to Jesus for deliverance from that sin, well, that sin will be judged and us along with it. In verse 32, but when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. And so what that tells us is this is even true at times and to two degrees, in the, in the very children of God. That we, we struggle with a heart that wants to harbor sin. And when we do not respond to the gospel and we do not respond to the law that God has given in his word to recognize and condemn sin in ourselves, then our Father will come and chasten us that's what Paul has just described. Many of you are weak and ill and some have died. What was the point of that? He says, God is your father and he is disciplining you. He's chastening you. He's, he's correcting you and it's getting more and more painful until you turn away from this sin and join him in condemning it. We are, when we're judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So it's not to our destruction, but to our salvation that the Father would chasten us. And so if we read then again this eighth paragraph, although ignorant and wicked men receive the outward elements in this sacrament, yet they receive not the things signified thereby, but by their unworthy coming thereunto are guilty of the body and blood of the Lord to their own damnation. And that language is taken from verse 27 of our text here in 1 Corinthians 11. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. <clears throat> it is as though we are joining those around the cross when Jesus was crucified, not understanding, not understanding our own terrible peril in sin, not understanding that this was God's greatest expression of love possible for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, not understanding that the son of God was dying, not out of weakness, not because his claims to be the son of God were false in any way, 
but for the very purpose of purchasing salvation for his people. And so we're no different. If we're coming to the Lord's Supper, and here is a spectacle illustrating the very crucifixion of Jesus, his body being broken, his blood being poured out. If we can look upon this and then be unmoved, not fall upon our knees before the Lord in joy and faith and confession of sin and rejoicing in the sacrifice that God has provided. If, if we're rather clinging on to our sin, unmoved by any sense of our own peril in sin, the more we partake of these outward elements, the more we are just hardening our own hearts the more we are even actively scoffing at the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And it is, if persisted in, to their own damnation. Wherefore, all ignorant and ungodly persons, as they are unfit to enjoy communion with him, so they are unworthy of the Lord's table, and cannot without great sin against Christ, while they remain such, partake of these holy mysteries or be admitted thereunto. <clears throat> and there are two important things in that last statement. Notice the phrase, they cannot without great sin against Christ, while they remain such. Or the phrase earlier, all ignorant and ungodly persons, as they are unfit to enjoy communion with him. Well, when we look at those phrases in light of the scriptures, we see that there is hope in the gospel. Uh, someone who is un ignorant, ignorant of the gospel, ignorant of their own sin, ignorant of their need of salvation, an ungodly person, perhaps they know those things, but they're just living a life of sin. They're unfit to enjoy communion with him, but what could make them fit? Or can they be made fit? We see in the, in the scriptures these offers of God's mercy again and again and again. You could think of the Apostle Paul himself. He's writing this. And where had he been in terms of his relationship with God and not discerning the body of Christ? Well, he was convinced in his own mind that uh, the service that he would offer to God was stamping out these disciples of Jesus Christ. Talk about not discerning the body of the Lord. He was waging war upon the people of God in the name of serving him. And, of course, Jesus confronts him on that road to Damascus. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, of course, breaks his pride in his heart, gives him conversion a new heart to love him and his people. And so there is hope. There's, there's hope. If you're ignorant, if you're ungodly, there is every reason to have hope in the Lord Jesus in the gospel. And so all can come, but, but not apart from coming to Christ, right? You can't come to the table apart from coming to the one who's pictured by the table. We have to have the Lord Jesus to be able to enjoy communion with the Father. And we have to come in humble faith to the Son to enjoy communion with Him. And so that's what's required. It's nothing different. It's not a separate standard. 
but it is, can you enjoy communion with Jesus Christ? And if you are a sinner who is repenting of sin and eager to be delivered from sin and desiring the forgiveness of God, confessing your need of that, and looking to Jesus Christ to accomplish all of that for you, that's who this supper was instituted for. And what a blessing it is to be able to come together as a body of forgiven sinners and to renew our commitments to the Lord Jesus, to be reminded of the critical importance of our turning away from sin in our own lives, and to share in the blessings of God's forgiveness uh, anew. You remember the Lord Jesus in that, those words of institution. He said, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Uh, do this until I come in remembrance of me. And in verse 26, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There is in these words of institution uh, an, uh, an assumption, an expectation of our need of this. Why would the Lord Jesus give this to us? Well, certainly we find these same truths presented to us in the Word of God. But Jesus has given us this sacramental meal to be an added reminder. It has to be understood in the light of God's Word and really can only be explained by the Word of God. It was the Word of Christ that instituted the Supper and it is the Word of God that explains it and helps us understand how to benefit from it. But what a blessing that Jesus, He knew each of us by name, and He had us in view as well of all, as all of God's people when He instituted this, knowing this will be a blessing to you. This will be a help to you. This will strengthen your faith as well. When you gather together, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You do this in remembrance of me. I will give myself for you, just as he did there in that upper room for his first 12 disciples. Wherefore, all ignorant and ungodly persons, as they are unfit to enjoy communion with him, so are they unworthy of the Lord's table and cannot without great sin against Christ while they remain such partake of these holy mysteries or be admitted thereunto. We looked at 1 Corinthians 11. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 6. Again, who can, who can enjoy a communion with the Lord and a communion with one another? Well, only those who are right with him. And 2 Corinthians 6 is a reminder, as we are the temple of God and the people of God, we're, we're set apart and consecrated. We can't have just indiscriminate fellowship on any basis, but our identity is found in Christ and our fellowship is defined by our relationship with Him. And so in verse 14 of 2 Corinthians 6, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership... <laughs> has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness, or what accord has Christ with Belial, or what portion does an, a believer share with an unbeliever? 
What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk with them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. So again, it it is such a sweet fellowship and it is offered to all who will come to the Lord Jesus by faith and join his people. But outside of that, There can be no sharing um, of these blessings. It is only for those who have come to Christ by faith. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 21, another reminder there from that passage, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord in the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. In other words, this is an exclusive fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ in him and with him. You must be joined to Jesus to be able to participate in those blessings. The final passage we'll we'll look at quickly. We may have to... Actually, that's not a bad place to stop. We're about out of time. So we'll look at these last verses, which actually relate to the next chapter as well, that not only can a person not truly enter into the blessing of the Lord's Supper apart from Christ. But they, in fact, should not knowingly be admitted or or welcomed or invited to do something that, as we just read, would only serve to their greater judgment. And so we'll look at those verses um, there at the end with reference to or be admitted thereunto. And that will be a good introduction into chapter 30 dealing with church censures and the government of the church well let's close our time with a word of prayer and we'll get ready for our time of worship our father we give thanks to you for your amazing grace and patience we thank you for the gift of your son that there would be a payment for sin we thank you lord for your coming and taking on our nature We thank you that you went to the cross willingly and obediently and laid your life down that we might enter into eternal life. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you you turned away from the fellowship of the Father as he turned his back upon you that we might have the face of God turned upon us with the smile of favor. We pray that you would help us as we enter into coming to the Lord's Supper or each act of worship. Oh, Lord, we pray that our hearts would be full of the reminders of your word, that we must indeed be turning away from our sin actively, confessing it, judging it, as it were, within ourselves, condemning it and seeking deliverance from it in the Lord Jesus so that we might not uh, put to a mockery the sacrifice of your Son there upon the cross. We pray that you would bless us to have great joy in the fellowship that you have accomplished for us, Lord Jesus. We pray that you would stir our hearts up, not only in this time of worship we are about to enter, but all through the week we pray that you would help us to have hearts that are full of thoughts of you, that we would remember you in all our thoughts and give you the honor and glory that is due your name. 
We pray that we might walk close with you in the, in the blessing that has been purchased for us through the Lord Jesus, that we would not uh, neglect so great a blessing as fellowship with our God, and that we would have that covenant relationship uh, made new every day. O oh Lord, we thank you that you have spoken to us and given us your word that we might have truth, we might know what you have spoken, and we might have that firm foundation to build our lives upon and to walk by. And we pray that you would bless, Lord, the time we have together, that we might be an encouragement one to another, that our hymns of praise would not only be lifted up to you, but also serve to encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.